0: I was I was happy. It's like, well, I'm good. We can go home. Like, got two Marin's quail today. Uh, and Jacob was like, really? You're not going to go for a limit? Like, really? I was like, all right. Well, well, we'll go the long route back to the truck. And lo and behold, another probably hundred yards or so, and found another cubby. I don't know. Remember what dog locked up on point that time? But flush it, and I get goosebumps just thinking about it. A tail chase, foot flush on a Marin's quail. but the Cooper sock Goss hawk, goshawk, an exhibitor in general hits. Yeah, and seeing it three times in a row and all of the men in in a catch. That's, yeah, one of the highest, highest of the highs I've had with falconry.
1: Hey, how's it going, everyone? Welcome back for another episode of the Falconry Told Podcast. And we are about halfway through our series brought to you by the Arizona Falconers Association. And I want to go ahead before we get started and do like I've done the last handful of episodes here and give a quick shout out to one of our newest sponsors being Bobby Yaga Crafts from Poland. You all have heard me sing his praise now a few times on the podcast here. And obviously I can't say enough good things about the quality of the equipment that he makes, everything from his new uh, hybrid Jesses to the anklets that he makes with the Marshall easy twist nuts sewn into them. It's all great stuff and well worth your time to check out. His contact information is on our website at FalconryTold.com. Please go there. Please drop him an email, whatever's most convenient for you, and give him a shout. It'd be well worth your time. And this episode continues on in Tucson after recording the episode with Tim that you all heard this past episode. We drove another hour to Brian Wood's house and did another recording with him fairly late in the evening, but we were able to squeeze it in and have a good time and a good conversation about different things in his falconry like you know cooper's hawks harris hawks and some of the different stuff that he's done in falconry career wise as well so anyway without further ado i will go ahead and continue this arizona falconers association series with brian wood here we go appreciate you having me and
2: yeah man as far as um you know everything else that that you've got going on you know it's pretty cool always walking into other falconers houses and seeing how they have their setups and and um you know it's pretty cool walking in and and uh, i didn't even notice i mean i should (laughs) have but i didn't even notice like the uh the kestrel at first until she started cacking at me and uh and then of course your your owl and everything i mean I I love those shelf perches, man. They're I think they're they're definitely the best, especially for falcons. But
0: it's so nice, yeah. I mean, especially clearing up table space because they were on a little block perch sitting on the table or the counter with the micros, and get yep. them on the wall and they're comfy. Yeah, it's safe for them.
2: Yeah, I think that you know, especially for for falcons, it's it's hard to. I mean, I've tried about every kind of perch. You know, I've especially for like smaller falcons and stuff. I mean, I've tried bow perches tried pole perches and and you know the smaller shelf perch so far is still kind of my my favorite just because i think it does the best for their uh, protection for their plumage and stuff yep but that's
0: carissa with the kestrel zero feather damage on the shelf but she had her on a little bow and a block and she was breaking tail feathers
2: yeah yeah and i i initially started keeping my kestrels like the the couple that i've flown um previously i had them predominantly on on a pole perch and they would regain it fine and they would do fine on it and stuff uh but i noticed eventually like there would always at least be a couple of of tail feathers that would get snapped in half on them and it was the most frustrating thing ever um because otherwise like i said they're fine and you know i'm very minimalist when it comes to small you know falcons anyway i I try my best to use you know I i use grommetless um you know, anklets and very thin stuff and Mm -hmm. everything else is fine. But like for whatever reason, just the way that bird would want to regain that pole perch every time it would snap. The pole
0: perch I've, I've, I constantly have issues. I've, I've housed the Cooper sock on it. And unless you have like a dedicated pre-cut tied off leash, Mm -hmm. I could never get it to be perfect every time. Sometimes I get it and she'd bait off and it would wrap around her tail. which She regained. I've currently got an Oplo on a pole perch in the other room right here. And so, so far he's doing well, but, um, I'm waiting for me to just tie it just too long or just too short. And he's going to snap a tail feather.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, like I said, for Falcons in particular, I've just become more fond of the, of the shelf purchase. It just seems like they're a little bit more foolproof. So it's always nice getting other people's opinions and
0: I prefer them. And if I had more wall space, I'd actually put the Opel on one. I'd probably use one for my coops as well, but don't have enough room.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I like I said, I just remodeled my basement and we were kind of talking about, you know, all the home renovation stuff a bit ago, but um I mounted both of my both of my bigger and smaller shelf perches like um in my kind of falconry room or whatever in my in my basement. And I'm hoping to utilize them again sometime soon. <laughs> um but yeah, that's kind of my goal is to kind of have at least, you know, three or four lined up and well, at you least know. you've
0: got a basement. We don't have basements in Arizona. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it would be tougher. I can definitely see where it would be more difficult to have one here for sure. Uh,
0: harder to dig, but it would stay much, so much cooler. Yeah, yeah.
2: Well, I mean, it, it, the only type that I could see around here would be like more of a walkout type. You know, if you're building on the side of... Yep. Yeah, the terrain here isn't exactly conducive <laughs> to no. digging, you know. Not it's, really.
0: It's <laughs> usually solid rock or
2: yeah it's just terrible yeah yeah i mean but i'm
0: jealous though i've always wanted a basement and yeah being uh tucson native <laughs> and yeah. never
2: have had one i mean be careful what you wish for man it's it's not um, all that it's cracked up to uh, be grass is always greener exactly you know i mean i i would love to have a dirt yard you know i mean but yeah you know, i didn't have to maintain all the time but yeah see grass sounds nice to me
0: because i'm sick of <laughs> yeah all the dust well i can well, dust my house
2: 15 times in a week and it would still
0: be caked in dust. So. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, you said it best, you know, grass is always greener on the other side for sure. But, but yeah, I mean, my, my plan is to have, um, once we start redoing our main floor to move all of our dogs downstairs and be in the same room as the birds. So they're always socialized with each yep. other and that's stuff
0: where my Apollo is. He's on the pole perch in the dog room.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So my, that's my goal eventually, but, but yeah, man, I mean, how long have you lived around this area? You said you lived around this area your whole life. Yeah. Right? I grew up
0: 20 minutes from where we're sitting right now. Um, my wife Carissa grew up same area. Didn't know each other as kids, but um, yeah, we're what 15 minutes from the closest grocery store. So we're kind of in the boonies ish for Tucson. Um, but like as we were speaking earlier, I wanted more land, so get out of the city. wasn't really in the center of the city, but still in a little cookie cutter house growing up. Yeah, not my cup of tea we've got too many too many animals to be doing that now
2: (laughs) yeah i i don't know like we live kind of just outside city limits where we're at too but we're close to other stuff close enough for me anyway um you know i mean like i said it's nice i don't mind having neighbors but i don't know if i could go back to having neighbors like right on top of me yep You know, even
0: I mean, we got one acre lots and that's still too close, in my opinion. Yeah, I'd like if I could afford it, I'd have a thousand plus acres where I didn't have to see anyone ever (laughs) literally just walk on my back door and start flying.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, I I agree. I would probably be like that, too. The only thing about that is I would hate maintaining it. That's true. Yeah.
0: Although get out desert, I guess, in your, your case, the woods and just let it be natural.
2: Yeah. I mean, if it was woods and they had a lot of fox and gray squirrels or mainly even just gray squirrels, I would be stoked. I could do that for sure. You know, I like I said, man, um, you know, my I'm sure you're probably very similar. Like my viewpoints on what I think is ideal has evolved a lot over the years. I mean, I uh, I would be perfectly happy flying flying red tails or whatever on squirrels probably for a very long time, uh-huh. if not ever. You know, I mean that's another thing that I think once you do for the first time and you discover it's kinda hard not to have fun doing. But
0: it looks like a blast. I've never got to experience it.
2: Well, come up sometime. We'll take I'll have you. To. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's a lot of fun, man. Um, but, you know, I mean there's I'm sure there's lots of stuff out this way that, you know, is probably done on a semi-regular regular basis that you know we don't get to do very often, we're at you know once again grass is always greener. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, if I if I could, I would move out west in a heartbeat. But you know I've said that several times. And
0: I I love it out here. Honestly, I hated it when I turned what, 18 eighteen. I wanted to get out, get away. Yeah. Being born and raised out here, I I don't know what it's like having grass or having streams and rivers and lakes around. I mean, or, if I want to go fishing, the closest <laughs> closest lakes three hours away.
2: So. Yeah. Or <laughs> rain or snow. <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: we get we get rain during the monsoon, yeah. but it's yeah, it's not.
2: I've seen it. It's yeah. not. It doesn't count. Although
0: you lived in Phoenix, so the monsoon in Phoenix isn't nearly as good as it is down south in Tucson.
2: Oh, I didn't realize it was all <laughs> that different. Honestly,
0: and we get quite a bit more. At least to my knowledge, I'm no, no meteorologist.
2: For about eight months, you can predict it's going to be like eighty something degrees, and then there's it's four months. Hotter. Yeah, there's you know four months where it's going to be like one hundred and twenty. Yeah, you know. And I'm
0: already whining. It's not even a hundred degrees. We've hit one hundred degree day, and I'm I'm sick of the heat.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, as far as how, how I mean, how hard is it for you to to maintain all of your all of your birds and stuff out here? I mean, is it?
0: I mean, one of the one of the reasons why I fly the species I do is our environment. Yeah. Um, like I mentioned, I, I want to fly on, on after quail. And my dream is to do it with a goshawk. I haven't flown a goshawk yet because I'm afraid of killing one in the heat in the summer. Um, all of my mentors have said, probably shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but flying a Cooper's Hawk, flying the Harris's Hawks. I mean, even when I've had Falcons, the the Red Nape Shaheen that we've got, they're pretty heat tolerant. They're from dry, arid climates. and They can, they can handle it. We still... I mean, our Mews have big open windows, a lot of airflow, make sure they're not wrapped up. In fact, I was just talking to someone else who's like, oh, I'll put a bunch of shade cloth over your window. And I'm like, ah, too afraid of it blocking up and becoming a hot box in there. Nate um, Danforth is flying a Goshawk and he did it through the season and showed me I, he can do it. I, I could probably make it work, but he hopefully has found the answer to housing a goss through the molt. And we're in the process, we I mean he's building it, I'm just helping. Um, building a,
2: what is it called? Climate control. It's
0: something. no, it's like an Adobe um earth oh, hut. like one of those like earth dome, dome things. Yeah, yeah, earth dome, here yeah, we go. Yeah. Um and hopefully it can keep it 20, 20 plus degrees cooler in there. Um but yeah, other than that, we we pick the species that can handle it unless you want to molt them inside. Yeah. But even then. And when it is 115 degrees in the middle of June, in July, if your AC fails and you got a cold climate bird inside, yeah, it'll be 90 degrees in less than an hour.
2: So, yeah, there yeah. is that it's too. Tough. I bet, I bet it's not easy for sure. Yeah, I mean, I can see where it would pose challenges for a lot of species for sure. Yep, I mean, even the ones that are used to it, I mean, it's still gonna fry, yeah. <laughs> The first couple of years as a falconer, I was terrified to go out and my
0: Harris is sitting there just panting wings droop. You're like, oh my gosh, is he going to die? But then you drive around town and you see all the wild ones sitting in the shade of trees panting with wings yeah. drooped. They're just hot. Mm-hmm. Um, but they got water. They got airflow. And on the super hot days, I mean, we've had days 118 plus, I usually bring my birds in. Yeah. I got my living rooms lined with boxes and I got birds on perches and I try to keep my house under 80 degrees if, if my AC can do it. So at yep. least it's.
2: How many wild harris's do you see around here? Are they pretty pretty common oh, around here.
0: They're real prevalent. Yeah, yeah, if if you, man, if you're you're leaving here tomorrow morning, yeah, on your
2: way out, just scan the
0: tops of sorrels on the on the drive. You'll you'll probably see some, especially this time of year. I've trapped a harris ten feet behind you out my window. There, <laughs> um, it's hard not to take that for granted, because I mean, harris's hawks are one of the most popular species flown today. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you, know, you just drive around town, you can watch them hunting together and it's, they're so prevalent out here that it's not uncommon during the season to have a, a wild juvenile join in on a slip with your own Harris's hawk. So
2: nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something fun that we occasionally do too. You know, there's lots of Juvie red tails that'll, that'll come in and, and watch your bird flying or whatever. And then you know, whenever you're done, sometimes it's fun just to keep kicking, just to see if you can kick up something for the juvies and you kind of naturally, you know, start, start hunting them and stuff. So, (laughs) you know, it's, it's kind of fun to, to see that interaction happen so naturally sometimes, you know, they just get so used to people and I'm sure that, you know, Harris is being as social as they are, is probably the same type of deal. Oh man.
0: Yeah. Some of the Harris's in the urban environments here. I mean, I've trapped some literally walking up to a Harris closer than I am to you right now and setting a trap on the ground and walk away five feet and it's on the,
2: on the trap. Yeah. That <laughs> so, doesn't surprise me a yeah. bit. Yeah. I mean, I may have to come back out here sometime. And I, I we, as we were discussing earlier, that's kind of one of the things that I still want to do is, um, uh, is fly a, a passage Harris and, you know, <laughs> well, obviously they're not where I'm at. So <laughs> it, it, like I said, I'd have to come out, and uh and do that and make a trip and make something out it. it's it's the one type of harris i'm not i mean i've you know flown as we were talking about earlier you know imprint chamber race and stuff but i still haven't flown a passage and i i i want to kind of complete that that learning experience. i think you should man you know? it's
0: i've seen so many captive bred harris's fly and not that they can't be impressive they, they can be exceptional hunters but they all pale in comparison uh to a passage and We've had a handful of people come to Tucson and, and trap them, and uh, when they get back and get them hunting, they usually reach back out to us and say, man, like this is the best bird I've ever, ever flown. They, they're, just, they're different, hmm. and there's not a lot written about the passage, Harris. Uh, most of the stuff that I've read about them isn't accurate from what I've experienced with them and what my group of friends have experienced with them. It's much different than what's written well I mean so. do you
2: do you think that's more of a credit towards just sample size or do you think that's really just something that you know it it hasn't been kind of encompassed because just like you said simple fact that it's not really been well publicized that's a great question I'm not sure <laughs> I mean
0: yeah the the sample size it's I mean just my close-knit group of friends it's my wife Carissa and I and then our best friends Nate and Amber uh Danforth we were dubbed the super friends by their sponsor. Um the Tucson mini meat super friends is what we were called, but um I mean between just the four of us there's been over a, a dozen passage Harris' hawks flown and as we were speaking earlier I think one of those was kind of just a an okay hunter. The rest were I mean pretty exceptional at what they did. And that's just with our friend groups I've seen other multiple falconers in Tucson, Phoenix have had yeah, exceptional yeah. uh exceptional birds too, so.
2: Yeah hard yeah. to say that's yeah. a great question yeah well i mean and yeah i mean some of those questions are you know kind of impossible to answer in their own way but you know because there's so many x factors and uh different you know factors to take into consideration you know with who who's ranging from who's flying how they train you know how often do they hunt you know so on and so forth and i mean there's so many different things and variables to whenever you're judging that too and yeah. and, and, and what and and what one person's perception of a dynamite bird would be isn't is you know varies from person to person too that is so. very
0: true and yeah i mean our our small friend group we 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 go hard we yeah. try to fly our bird seven days a week if life allows nice we found careers that allowed us to do so <laughs> yeah, so most that. people can't do that so that, i'm sure flying as hard as we do helps bring out the most in, in a bird
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, if you fly almost every day a week, your bird's going to be that much more fit and more down with the routine, you know, of it. And uh, in fact,
0: if you fly them that much, then weight usually isn't even a factor. They just, it's time to hunt. They're just going to hunt.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, because that's just what they're used to. And I mean, they're used to doing that about every day in the wild and stuff. And and if you're trying to keep them as much close to a a natural routine as possible, they're going to be that much better for it too, for sure. Yep. I can see where that would be even that much more important, you know, especially if you guys hunt together and you have a bunch of passage birds that you're flying together in casts and stuff, I can see where that would just be yeah, I mean, it would be hard to mess one up that way. Let's just it is. It.
0: However, I mean, contrary to what people think with the Harrises and what most uh most Harris hawkers do, um, we prefer to fly solo. And um when we get a new passage bird, we actually would train it, hunt with it. My what I've told my apprentices, and it's not like a set number or anything, but try to get a dozen kills solo. Build that relationship with that bird before you start going into a cast. So that bird's looking to you, and not just the other harris's in the field. Um, and even then, I mean, it's a blast flying with your friends in a cast. And we did have amazing times flying together. But we still, I my best times in the field were by myself with my own, me and my bird, seeing them do it. So
2: yeah, and I can understand that too. That's that's a, a kind of a cool approach though you know i mean i've heard other guys that have different ways they've gone about training you know their harris's and stuff too and and um i can see where with a passage bird in particular that would be more important to do some solo stuff first just so they establish their relationship with you first yep i can understand where that would be more important than even with like a chamber bird yeah
0: Absolutely. Yeah. That They're yeah. so used to working as a family group already. So yeah, exactly. if you start throwing them with another bird, they're all just going to, why do I need you? I've got other, other Harris's around to follow. So
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you know, they already kind of have their social hierarchy and their group established as it is anyway, yep. you know, so kind of getting them out of that, whatever habit they already have established first, I can see where that would be more important initially. Yeah. So, like I said, I, I, d- I need the experience still. I really do. Yeah, I I
0: totally think you should and Yeah. when you decide, man. I'd love love to see it happen, so.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I'm mean, will um we'll talk more after this is over about that because like I said, there's there's some things that I'm still kind of mulling over with that, but yeah, I always keep my options. I don't know how you are, man, but it seems like fortune very rarely ever favors me in (laughs) in any kind of planning you know pre-planning so i
0: i'm gonna knock on wood here i uh lucked out this past year i plan on flying an imprint coops i pulled a baby in it so far it's worked out really well we had a outrageously successful season but um usually it's yeah i don't i don't know what i'm doing until i'm doing it because things never go the way you plan
2: for sure yeah and especially with my contract uh, you know work agreements you know possibly ranging anywhere, you know, and and or several different states in the country the last couple of years, it's been tough. And, um, I mean, at least with what you do, you know, it's unless there's just something that goes wrong with a bird that you have or something, you know, whether it be sickness or just sudden random, you know, quirky fluke, you know, um, which I've had, yeah, yeah. Uh. Well, it's part of being a falconer, (laughs) but, but, yeah, I mean, at least you you have that to kind of keep you going. I mean, and, and, you know, with the abatement stuff and with the other stuff that you do, you know, I mean, like I said, it's, it, it's worked out, I'm sure, to where at least, for the most part, at least the availability aspect hasn't necessarily been an issue.
0: Kind of. Honestly, when I did the abatement, I was commuting 400, no, 220 miles a day. Mm-hmm. To go to – the resort work was up in Phoenix, and I live in Tucson, 110 miles one way. But I bring my falconry bird with me and the Casa Grande area, which is right between Tucson and Phoenix. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful hunting. Talking about how you view things differently. I yeah. used to think it was hideous landscape. Who would ever want to live there? <laughs> uh, now I drive by, and it's a glorious, <laughs> glorious place to fly. It's flat, nothing but desert thorn, which looks like sage. Uh Yeah, it's – Nice. So I, I made it work, but I mean, I was commuting four hours a day, working eight hours a day, so it's twelve hours of what I put in just to work. But I made it work to fly.
2: Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, I can see where that would be more doable on a on a typical diurnal schedule. You know, <laughs> yes. I've the, are you
0: are you doing graveyards?
2: Yeah, yeah. And and um, you know, I, the the most I've been able to commute going back and forth for work has been about an hour and a half working nights. You know, I mean, I've I tried doing it uh kind of like on a two hour you know limit and there's just something about that second hour after a night shift like i i can do an hour and 15 hour and a half you know but man that second hour on the drive you know after a night shift it just i i discovered i just couldn't yeah couldn't i push through it i
0: was usually dead when i was on hawking and i mean i was working through the day well, so. and,
2: and it's so hot too you know i mean getting drained from that you know doing the abatement work on yeah. in some of these areas Luckily, I, we're not hunting when it is 115
0: although working in phoenix you can be 120 plus
2: yeah yeah i can only imagine man
0: but yeah luckily we're only hitting 80 degrees during yeah. the season sure <laughs> yeah still hot
2: yeah well and and i mean whenever you're still doing the abatement work up there i mean was that typically during like what what months at year. It was year round. Yeah. Well okay. So yep. it wasn't just a certain you know group of months. It was yep. all twelve months. Yeah, it was
0: twelve months a year, yeah. For those for those those two contracts that I was working, yeah. But well, like I said, I haven't worked those for over three years now, not since the pandemic shut the world down.
2: And what were you mainly uh trying to scare off? Was it like pigeons? Grackles or... and pigeons. Grackles and so pigeons. one of the
0: resorts it was strictly pigeons and the other resort was ninety-eight percent grackles. <laughs> there was a hmm. handful of pigeons, but honestly the doing that kind of stuff. The grackles are much harder than pitch. I are <laughs> so much that. more intelligent and really test you and try, keep you on your toes. I enjoyed it, but man, getting the same four questions by 300 people every single day, every <laughs> hour of every single day can drive you nuts. Now, uh, um uh, well now I'm, I'm co-owner of sky Island falconry experience with my wife and then our best friends, Nate and Amber Danforth. um, now we do uh, falconry education and um, displays like that. It's the people that come there. They're, they're there to learn, and the questions that they ask are wonderful. It's 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 fun.
2: Yeah, no, I can see that. I, it's not
0: easy. Nothing is, but.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, it's anything that you do in, in regards to having any kind of wildlife and the maintenance involved and, you know, making sure everything is, properly maintained and just hoping that nothing goes wrong in the process. I mean, I've, I've done, you know, with, with our group of guys, you know, in Southern Indiana, you know, I've helped do exhibitions and some education stuff before for, I mean, I've done stuff ranging from, you know, my kids scout group, you know, when, when they were even littler, (laughs) you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, just some other stuff at like a local park and whatever. And, um, Anytime things go even remotely as planned, it's, you, it's a win. Yep. Yeah. Cause a we've, lot of times they don't,
0: <laughs> we, we've been lucky that uh, the vast majority, and I'm going to knock on some wood here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vast majority have gone really well, really well. Actually, I think the, the worst program we had was last month. We did a program for a middle school here in town. There were 650 kids or something like that. It was a huge group I think the largest group I've ever done. And of course it's what it was the end of March. So I guess it was a month and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, nesting ravens were in the area. <laughs> we didn't oh, we didn't know, and let the bird fly, and he flew up to a pine tree and just got mobbed just by two. But talk about embarrassing! You're just sitting there swinging a lure, whistling like a like an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> and your bird's not doing anything, and you got six hundred plus uh, middle schoolers just judging you and talking smack. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he came and, down. He came down just yeah, took a bit. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sure that being in front of a a whole bunch of very opinionated uh, <laughs> pre adolescent kids <laughs> yes. is not always the most fun thing when things uh, go wrong. But
0: yeah, when it goes well, it can be a lot of fun. They really enjoy it. But I'm sure, usually it does. Like I said, usually it goes well.
2: I'm sure. I'm but, sure. Well, I mean, it sounds like at least you're getting to do something you want to do and is kind of enjoyable. You know, it's
0: yeah, absolutely. Um, before getting into the industry, making doing abatement or the the falconry school stuff i was a plumber and uh i worked for my dad who's a plumbing contractor i dreaded going to work every single day <laughs> i hated it. i really I really enjoyed working with my dad but the work i did not like and i mean it's hard labor when it's hot out here I'd it's still work I, I mean i still wake up and it's like i gotta go i gotta do it but when i do it it's fun i enjoy it um it can actually have, if I'm having a bad day, I can go, if I have a really good group of people that are fun to teach and really willing to learn, it can turn my bad mood into a great mood and have a good day. So yeah, really lucky to be able to do it.
2: Yeah. I mean, and even the days that you are in a bad mood, I'm sure that like you kind of just said, it's probably easier to get your game face on, so to speak, because you, you have to remind yourself too, that as co-owner of a business like that, you know how you present yourself, and everything's going to largely depend on continuing to get more people into. Absolutely, too, you know? yeah, absolutely. So There's yeah. always
0: you're, that. Or solely a, a tourist type of tra- attraction type thing. Um, easy for me to say. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if, if if I'm just an a-hole to our guests, <laughs> I'm yeah. probably not going to get a lot of uh,
2: repeat business no probably not not gonna get those five stars on yelp or whatever yeah <laughs> yeah no that's cool though man i mean i admire anybody that's able to to do you know kind of you know something on their own you know and work for themselves and, and make it work you know i mean it's it's something that i hope somehow or another will be in the cards for me someday man, you just
0: gotta make, gotta make it happen
2: well i know man it's just it's not it, easy no I, it's 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 a it's, lot of,
0: it's simple but it's not easy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's easier said than done. And it's always, I'm I'm sure it's probably very similar in a lot of regards to anything else. The hardest part is just starting it. Yeah. Yep. But
0: starting it. And I mean, running a business this day and age is a little crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Especially we, we launched literally February is when we got our permit February of 2020. Yeah. One month before the world shut down. Best time <laughs> in the world to, to try to start a, yeah. Uh, anything. Yeah. A business in general.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's whatever. Now you're, you know, doing what you need to do and and uh yeah, looks like you look like looks like you're having fun doing it.
0: Yeah. 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 The biggest thing I was worried about even even doing the abatement was getting burnt out. I didn't want to ruin my falconry 'cause yeah. I'd want to become a falconer for it happens. Man, 15 years before I finally got my license and I was afraid it might. I didn't think it would, but I was afraid, just back of my head, you never know, just do it too much. But not actually spark the fire even more i just try to keep going and see see how much more i can accomplish with the sport yeah
2: plenty of time man well we we hope there's plenty of time yeah. anyway for all, of all us, we can
0: do is hope right
2: yeah for sure but i mean like as far as your your introduction into all of it i mean what was it that initially got you interested in it all and uh you know kind of got you
0: i've been a bird nerd since i can remember always I, I really think what got me into birds in general was i've always been fascinated by flight always wanted to be able to fly. If you could have any superpower, what could it be? I could fly when I was a kid. That was it. Um, I was the kid. I'd set up little live bird traps, little, not elevator traps, but it's got the little lever and shuts the door behind them, Mm -hmm. or a milk crate with a stick and a string. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd used to catch birds all the time. When I was, man, eight or nine, I had a little logbook of what bait I use, bread, bird seed, what have you, Um, what time of day it was, what bird it was that I caught, and then, When you catch a bird, I'd reach in and grab it, and they'd always lose feathers out of stress, and I'd tape a feather there. Uh, Definitely not legal to do, but I was eight, so. (laughs) I was a young kid, but I was doing that. Um, I think I was 10. My dad was driving me to school, um, and there was an ornithologist from the U of A who had trapped a family of Harris's um, doing research. My dad drove by this guy who had a Harris Hawk in his hand, and I was super geeked my dad stopped and let me talk to this gentleman probably bugged the crap out of a little 10 year old with question after question after question but the guy listened answered all of my questions and he let me hold one I held my hands around it like a football and tossed it in the air to release it back and from that day on I wanted to do that I didn't know what that was at the time um, but I wanted to work with birds of prey and from basically 10 on it was raptors so birds to begin with, and then raptors about 10. Uh, of course, read my side of the mountain, uh, got on the internet and started reading and learned that falconry was a thing. Begged my parents to let me do it. They said no. I'm <laughs> glad they did. I was really immature as a kid, had too much fun, and I probably wouldn't have stuck with it had I started at 12 or 14. Um, yeah, took me till I was 25. What really sparked the fire again was Facebook. <laughs> I had, I was on Facebook and it was people you may know. And there was a gentleman here in Tucson. Um, his name is Eric and his profile picture with him with a Harris. I sent him a message. It's like, hey, you don't know who I am, but uh, I've always been interested in the sport. Can I pick your brain? And like most Falconers, he was super welcoming. He invited me to his house. Let me borrow a bunch of books. He took me on a hunt and within three months I was licensed. <laughs> so
2: nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I know, it, it kind of varies from state to state as far as how early you can technically, you know, start an apprenticeship. I think it's uh like it, 12 now in Indiana. It's 12 I mean, in Arizona now. Is it? So. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like I've had this conversation with a lot of guys and, and um, I don't know if, if a uh, part of me wishes that I could have started in it earlier than what I did. Cause I think I was uh, like technically like right at 30 or 31 and um you know I started getting out with guys I think of course this full season before you know I was out every weekend with them you know pretty much for a full season yeah yeah (laughs) the way you really should do it for sure um in my humble opinion anyway but uh but yeah I mean I don't know like like you said it's I think it takes a lot of you know, retrospection, you know, like a, a, a real retrospection, be able to look back and say, you know, yeah, it's it's probably for the best that I didn't get started <laughs> sooner. It's yeah, I would have failed. <laughs> Just
0: I wasn't responsible enough. So,
2: yeah. Yeah. I and mean, that's one thing that is definitely a must and it's not negotiable with, with all of this is uh, a lot of responsibility. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Luckily, I mean, I was I was immature for quite a while. I had too much fun out of high school too. Yeah. Um. But if my mom was worried, she kept saying like, "Oh, you're just not do anything with your life." I got my falconry license at 25, and I turned my life around.
2: Yeah, <laughs> catalyst for a lot of positive changes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of stories like that. That's good though. I mean, yeah. I'm glad it worked out for you. Yeah. It's uh, like I said, it's it's um, yeah, I, it's something that once you get into, you can't not make a, a large part priority you know so
0: yeah it took yeah. over my life completely
2: <laughs> well sounds like for the better so that's good but i mean so what kind of um you know path did you start off with did you were you like a a lot of guys that uh started off with like a red tail or what did you end up flying first so i mean in
0: arizona they're really liberal on what species can be flown as an mm-hmm. apprentice um i started with a harris like most arizona apprentices do right mm-hmm. um my sponsor really awesome sponsor um, was kind of easygoing He asked me what I wanted to fly I told him I wanted a male Harris because I wanted to be able to catch quail <laughs> that was <laughs> always been a goal um, and I said but I just want a bird so I'd be happy with a female too and I was like if we can't catch that I'd be happy with a red too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just yeah. wanted, I wanted a bird um, but yeah, I started I wanted a male Harris first bird I first passage we saw in the morning we were trapping was a male Harris Dropped a trap. I was literally home within 15 minutes of, <laughs> again, talking about how prevalent Harris's are. Mm-hmm. I mean, did some scouting. I knew where they were going to be hanging out, but literally left my house and 15 minutes later, I was home with a bird in my hand. So Nice. Um, but yeah, I started with the male Harris. I flew him all through my apprenticeship. Um, so he was the one that kind of random fluke just died on me. It was after his fourth season. So I, I flew him for four seasons. Um, we accomplished a lot. Didn't get quail. It's fun what I kind of wanted, but never got quail. Uh, that's not true. My very first quail was caught at the NAFA meet in Lubbock in 2018 with that bird. It was a Bob White. <laughs> uh, but that's the only thing, a fluke catch. But um, he died in his muse in August of 2019, overnight. I even paid for necropsy, no definitive cause, no idea what happened. However, I don't want to say his death was a blessing. <laughs> but um, the year that he died, I was raising an Im- my first imprint coops had he not passed i probably wouldn't have done as well with my coops because the coops is hard yeah i struggled with him again i wanted to catch quail so it's, i'm gonna do an imprint coops that's gonna do it um and had i still had my awesome male you know, harris to fall back on i probably would have been like all right screw the coops for now i'm gonna go fly the harris <laughs> and go have some fun because it's a lot easier
2: yeah yeah um, yeah don't think there's much debate on that for sure
0: yeah uh Yeah, had had he been alive, I I probably wouldn't have done as well with my first coops. I mean, if you're on social media, I'm sure you've seen my photos of Marty make fly. He was (laughs) posted a lot. I was proud of what I was able to do with him. Um, and yeah, that's that triggered my addiction for exhibitors on quail.
2: Like we've talked about, you know, I I don't know. Like I really haven't had a ton of success. I mean, I've, I've flown a Sharpie and had some success. Um. I've, you know, tried a few coops and just, yeah, it just hasn't worked out yet. But it's one of those things that I, I really want to at least be successful with once just to have the positive experience. Yeah. have done it, yeah. yeah. Um, as of right now, I mean, there was a, a brief moment in time where I was going to try – to get a, um, a hybrid, you know, larger species, you know, like European, uh, North American hybrid goshawk to maybe try on squirrels and stuff. And, um, but my new septic system need, um, <laughs> kind of, put a a crimp in those plans easy to Um, do is they're not cheap (laughs) yeah yeah well and and everybody around me all all my buddies fly goshawks so it's like i've been overexposed i've said this many times too but i've been overexposed to goshawks basically (laughs) since day one basically um so i don't have like the extra fascination or need you know to necessarily fly because i see them fly all the time as it is anyway but but yeah the coop thing man it still is is kind of that um that (laughs) <laughs> enigma for me you know i guess um as it is i think for a lot of falconers but
0: yeah you got to be a bit of a masochist to want to fly them <laughs> they're they're not they're not easy they're not hard the, the biggest thing and it, we've touched on it earlier it's the amount of time you can fly them i i really i think the only thing that it takes to do it to make it easier is to fly them every day mm-hmm. if you can't fly them i five days a week yeah, it's not probably not a species you should be flying right now.
2: Yeah, um, I've heard that from multiple people.
0: Yeah, I, I I do my best. I've I've raised two imprint coops now, uh, both of them were very successful. Um, and both of them, the for the first six months, I didn't miss a single day. I was out in the field seven days a week. I'd start in July. I started hunting my imprint fi- female this last season. July eighth was the first day I say hunting. I, it was when we moved our training outside. I did baggies, yeah. mm-hmm. but I mean. July in Arizona, it's 105 degrees at 7 a.m. <laughs> it's, And we'd be out there at first light. And, yeah, it, it, that's the hardest part is the commitment of just being out every day. I mean, we were in the field from July to March, over 200 days. Yeah. And I noticed it when I took a day off, especially after that first six or so months. Uh, when I took a day off, she was not happy.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's why I've heard from multiple guys that, I mean, if – Especially if an imprint, you know, if you, with an imprint coop, you really need to be able to fly almost every day each week. And when you stop, that's when the problems usually start. Yep.
0: Although I've, I've tried following the methods. I've had a lot of advice and I don't think there is a method. I don't think there's a way to do it. I, it's so much dependent on the bird. I think this is, I haven't been around so many goshawks, but from what I've seen with acceptors in general, it's just being able to adjust like being able to read that bird and adjust accordingly. That's
2: reading. The bird is always, which yeah, know, it's any species. Yeah. It's in any species for sure, but it's even more important with, cause there's a lot of guys that have a hard time reading exhibitors for sure. Yeah.
0: Well, they are just well, like, like McDermott says a uh, coops is just a flying lizard. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly flying my first, so Marty McFly, my very first imprint coops, um, I wanted to chase quail. I didn't have dogs. I didn't have anything. Just, I'm going to get a goops. In fact, uh, Nate climbed the tree for me. He pulled it for me. (laughs) I pulled him for me. Um, I raised him, and I chased quail without a dog, and I will never do that again. Um, (laughs) We caught 46 quail without a dog, and I don't know if you've ever chased desert quail, but
2: that's pretty find, impressive actually. finding them
0: in general is really difficult and then yeah. once they're pursued if they don't catch it on the initial flight they are ratty they hide they're, they're really hard to find again mm-hmm. so most of my hunts with that coops was find the cubby usually you'd listen you hear him chittering or something find the cubby flush him the male coops flew, flew at 250 grams he's tiny if he did hit him on the rise he couldn't hold on um, but I'd have to go find a reflush and I was sprinting every slip sprinting and sprinting and sprinting. So I was in good shape, <laughs> but when the coops got upset, he come at me, he, he hit my face one time and it was August that first year. I got a tiny little scratch on my cheek. Uh, I learned that again, learning to read the behavior. I learned what that looked like and I never let it happen again. Mm-hmm. I could have, and he absolutely would have been a face grabber had I not learned that behavior, but I just never let it happen again. In fact, Jamaica and Greg Smith have dubbed a move the Brian after me. Uh, When the Coops is angry, I have him on my glove, and I shoot my arm straight up and look straight down. It almost looks like you're doing, like, the disco, like, disco move. Um, (laughs) And that was just so I didn't get hit in the face. But with the second imprint Coops, Sarah, my female right now, um, I raised her. I had my Vishla Ruger. I had my setter Quill. And Tyler Sladen was kind enough to let Nate and I borrow his Vishla trigger. So she was raised with dogs and it, she never spent, like, actually I went hunting one time without dogs. All of them were injured. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this is why I don't do this. But uh, <laughs> when she got upset, she'd go hit the dogs. And I mean, it's sad that your hawk is hitting the dog, but it's not me. Yeah. Um, and the dogs, I mean, Ruger, my Vishla, he'll literally just stand there looking at me like, really? Is Burger going to do anything? She's just hanging on my face. <laughs> and it wasn't every single hunt, but it was nice that there was something other than, Me so there was there was still aggression that I dealt with, but it was manageable. Um. Yeah, the the difference I caught over double the amount of quail with dogs than I did the season without. And when I flew without again, it was sprinting, 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 and then add dogs to the equation, and it's a nice stroll through the desert, and the dogs will go point, and then I flush, and the dogs can relocate if I need to. And out here, if the quail are ratty and go into a rat's nest, my Vishla and Tyler's Vishla would actually. Dig the rat's nest up if we tell them to. I did my best not to dig them out of nests. Uh, it's hard when you're just like, I want that quail.
2: Yeah, but well, and especially if you if you're trying to enter a new bird and they really need. Yeah, the beginning
0: know, the... I was absolutely like, I don't really care. I want her to be successful. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna get her a quail, pretty much no matter what it takes. However, I didn't need too much in the beginning because we have a really extended quail season in Arizona. It opens July 1st, so I can be hunting quail in the hellacious heat if I want to. But it was really extended for falconry specifically for raising an is Mm -hmm. uh, which we're lucky to have um and the young quail i mean she was catching those on the rise she was catching those on the initial flight once october came around that diminished a lot catching them on the rise yeah it was usually two or three reflushes to
2: nail those quail yeah well like i said it sounds like i mean well obviously it's a lot of work but yeah i'm sure that doing that in you know 100 and whatever degree you know ovens really isn't
0: it? <laughs> it's not, it's not fun yeah in fact I, I lucked out this year uh a friend of ours um i, I met a guy he's a, a quail guide uh, his name's jacob and you can't legally pursue quail with your dogs out of season so being a shotgun hunter he could not run his dogs out after wild birds until october but if he came with me he could run his dogs at quail my hawk because it was open season for falconry um and i wanted to put as many dogs as i could under that hawk so Mm -hmm. it didn't matter who was there if i had all my dogs were injured i could run with run hunt quail with a dog Um, so i i I had him join me and it's hard to find someone willing to join you in the oven heat every day and that jacob joined me in the summer he was with me probably four or five days a week
2: Mm -hmm.
0: every morning it's at first light And then gun season opened up and he did his own thing. But yeah, um, yeah, I did my best to, I invited anyone that was interested. I even made a Facebook post. If you want to see how we do these things, come, come out. I want my coops to accept people.
2: What did you do different than from your first attempt to, you know, the, the second bird differently to, I don't know, try and, and curb any kind of issues or anything. Is there anything that you did different from one bird to the next
0: Yes. Whether I could pinpoint exactly what it was, I don't know. Um, the biggest thing is I followed um, the imprint excipiter as much to a T as I could on my first bird. And I don't know if it's because it was a Western subspecies. And in that book, he's, even even reaching out to him, he says, ah, just, just fly an Eastern. They're easier to manage. Um, couldn't get it to do what the book said to, be, to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so but the next one, I was like, I'm going to try again but I'm not gonna f- try to follow it to a tee. I'm just gonna kinda go with the, what the bird tells me. Again, reading the bird's behavior and just adjusting. Um, and doing it the second time. I mean, I hope I can fly this, this coops for years and years and years. It's my goal, keep her alive and hunt quail. Uh, but if she passes and I fly another one, I will absolutely do things differently next time too. I don't know what though, I, I, don't, <laughs> know, can't, I don't can't really put my finger on what exactly I did different.
2: Just depends on what you read from the the bird. Yep. So you're just trying to kind of go, yeah, going going more by what you know, the skills that you've learned, and and just um, you know knowing what you know, and going with the flow as opposed to trying to just force a specific formula on yep. something. Then
0: the biggest thing that I think I, that helped, well, my first bird was trying to get as many people out in the field with me every every day that I could. I just did because exhibitors are known like, nope, can't have anyone, can't mm-hmm. have any special colors, can't wear a hat, can't do this. And I I invited anyone, everyone, uh, my nieces and nephews, my friends. It's hard to get people to come, but (laughs) anyone that could. And then the second bird, uh, the second coops, I did the same thing, but also did that with dogs. (laughs) Mm -hmm. If you can control your dog and you can woe your dog on command, please bring it.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Gotcha. Well, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, McDermott's book and you know, kind of that formula, I think, is still the closest thing that probably most people have have come to – kind of having a recipe so yep. to speak that's but, what they call it yeah i don't, yeah.
0: I don't like the term recipe because yeah. recipe you follow to a t and again with that yeah. book I, I couldn't the bird right. didn't allow me to
2: yeah and you know i mean and there's there's always going to be certain things in written works you know books or whatever that you know the it's not always going to be able to be applicable because every bird's different
0: yeah no, I'm not, yeah. not trying to talk smack about the book. No, was, no, 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 no. It was a godsend. So much help in there.
2: No, no, no. Like I said, I, I know Mike. You know I mean? I, like I said, I, there's been things that I've, you know, asked him about too that, you know, I think if, you know, I mean, I I think that most authors, if they're being honest with themselves, would probably make adjustments here and there if, they, if it was that simple to just every single time publish a new edition. Yeah, you know? right. But I mean, but no, I mean, like I said, there's a lot of good information in there for sure. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I... As far as just any other experiences that, you, that you've that you had, though, I mean, so I can't remember. Did you say you, you had or hadn't tried a, a passage?
0: So, actually, I did. I kind of skipped that in what birds I had flown. Uh, <laughs> I, I did the standard, oh, I became a General Falconer. Let's fly a Cooper's Hawk. Ah, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I got my General's license in October. Mm-hmm. So, I got my upgrade in October. Uh, it was too late to pull an IS. Um, so, I was like, oh, I'll just grab a drop passage. Everyone says, don't trap a late passage. Oh, screw it. Mm-hmm. I did well with a Harris Hawk. Yeah. Big deal. So I trapped a, a passage female, it was October 21st or something like that. Um, I flew her for three months. She broke almost every feather in her tail. <laughs> um, we did catch game. We caught a dozen head. I wanted to catch quail again. That was my goal. I want to catch quail. She had no interest in feather. She would not chase a single quail I put up in front of her. Um, but she did catch rabbits, a couple squirrels and a rat. <laughs> um, my sponsor, it was late January, late February. My sponsor helped me imp her tail and I released her. Um, it was cool. I couldn't find enough Cooper sock feathers to imp her entire train back as a Cooper sock. So she, her two deck feathers were red tail feathers, <laughs> which just trimmed them to fit. And it was cool. Cause where I released her, I could, I did, kept seeing her. She, I know she survived at least. Through the mole. Um, yeah, so I, I, you could say it was successful because we caught game. And that's falconry's catching game. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't what I wanted. So yeah. it was a failure in my book because I wanted to catch <laughs> quail. But she didn't die. And we caught things. Um, so yeah, I've I flown one passage. Because she was so turned off to feather, I was like, I'm, I'm not going to do a passage again. Like I don't want a, a bird that's already entered on something and wedded to... Mm-hmm prey item that I don't want to chase
2: makes sense I'm gonna yeah. hunt
0: rabbits I'm gonna fly <laughs> so,
2: yeah. yeah it's just no, I understand yeah I mean I can I can understand where that would be you know and it's a reasonable thing too I mean you know that's the one benefit to having an imprint is you know you that thing is only going to learn what you teach it yep and you know if you don't want it to be wed to a certain type of thing then you don't have to introduce it to it and odds are it's not gonna
0: it fact, you know. my current coops uh sarah she will basically ignore everything but quail she caught three rabbits out of 120 head of game this year she got three rabbits uh and it was just we had walked five miles and not found a covey. um but yeah having that imprint it, her first i mean 50 plus head of game was quail yeah so it really helps yeah so, so wedded to that
2: yeah, I, I can understand where, like I said, just having that amount of slips and, and stuff. And, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I'm I'm always curious to to see what people's experience with coops in particular are. And, um, you know, what they learned different as far as, you know, the passage versus the imprint, too. And what they learned from both of those, you know. And, and if there was any different way that they went about, you know, their approach to them. Because... Like I said, most people just don't have very good success with them.
0: Yeah, so. I, I tried the passage. I tried to train out like a Harris because that's the only knowledge I had coming from an apprenticeship or, yeah, coming from being an apprentice who had only flown a single male Harris. So, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's the same thing, right? Yeah. It worked. She had a recall. She come to a lure, but it's not not the same at all. But <laughs> it did work to an extent. Yeah. Um, I've told myself even before I got this last imprint, I'm, like, I'm going to do a brancher or a sore hawk that way i shouldn't deal with much aggression and i can still enter it with what i want didn't actually happen but i ended up pulling a baby but yeah i still have one day i'll fly a, a brancher or a sore hawk and
2: see how that goes yeah, I've heard mixed reviews on that too. Yeah. But you know, whatever. It's, I think uh, Cooper's hawks are always going to have that kind of mixed bag as far as <laughs> experience. Well, I I think it's
0: the bird you get too. Yeah, I've, for sure. I've heard there's some that are just sweet as can be. Sure, and others that will eat your face at any given chance. So
2: yeah, yeah. I think and like you said, that's it's kind of. Yeah every species too but just what percentage <laughs> yeah i think know? coops is
0: just a higher percentage of psychos so. yeah
2: for sure well i mean as far as the other types of birds just in general that you've flown as far as your education and or other experience i mean what's kind of been your your other favorites to to fly if if you know in in any capacity i mean i my, my knowledge and my experience with
0: a high-flying falcon can't even say high flying Falcon, but a Falcon that I guess could fly high. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I raised the imprint red nape Um and his first year, oh my goodness, so much fun. He was really quiet actually. Um, I got him stooping. I mean, he's a, he's a program lure stooping bird really. Um, I toss pigeons for him too, but so he only goes up about 150 feet, but watching a Falcon stoop, I mean, even, even 150 feet up and stoop coming in 90 plus mile an hour, I've done it. 100 well over 100 times and i still get giddy just watching that teardrop <laughs> from such a low height even um so that's fun and I, i'd like to dabble more in a long wing um especially i'd really like to try a long wing on on uh, myrn's quail they hold tight enough and i think it's it can get them an open enough country to, to get it again i'm all about the quail apparently <laughs> um so yeah I, I really enjoyed flying him um other than that, I haven't had that much experience. I've flown a couple red tails. Uh, we trained one for um, our business um, for doing hawk walks. We wanted to, hey, the most prevalent bird of prey in North America. Let's show people what that looks like. And she was doing well. She really liked reptiles, and she caught Gila monsters. <laughs> she caught a couple snakes, and then she caught a rattlesnake. Didn't get it by the head well, and it bit her in the face, and it killed her. Nice. Um, so that was my. She was beautiful too um dark morph <laughs> red tail uh i've flown a couple passage red tails for a short time but if, again if i'm gonna hunt rabbits out here i'd rather fly a harris <laughs> um, so most of my experience has been harris and then a the few coops i've flown
2: gotcha well cool man well like i said before we end up wrapping up we'll do like we usually do and um you know if you don't mind man just share a um, a couple of, uh, or one in particular, if you've got one, you know, one of your most notable like hunting stories or experience with one of the birds that you've had, and uh, and then we'll uh, we'll wrap shortly after that and uh, and call it good.
0: Yeah, that's a tough question, man.
2: Yeah, <laughs> most people say that. Yeah,
0: that's that's hard to, to pick one.
2: Everybody usually has at least one or two that that are prevalent and come to mind. I mean, the,
0: the biggest one that really sticks. It wasn't even the most exciting of flights, but. I had a goal with this coops to catch. I wanted to catch all three species of quail in Arizona and Mern's quail are a sought after species. Not many falconers have actually caught one. Um, And my first time going after him, we doubled and I was like, well, that was freaking amazing. The second time we went and she limited, which is three quail in Arizona. It's a limit. And again, not the most exciting of flights, but watching your dog walk up in the high grass, walking over and getting a foot flush um, she didn't catch any one of those three on the initial flight. she was so close on all three of them uh but yeah, watching let's see I was with Jacob that day, his setter locked up on point. I rush over, oh, I had to fight to get Sarah to run my glove <laughs> when she, when she finally finally was on my glove, I rush over put flush it she was on its on its ass the whole whole flight it puts into the grass again. And then my dog, uh, my Vishla Ruger finds it and get a second flush. She nails it. It's like awesome. Uh trade her off. It's like, well, we're a mile and a half from the truck. Let's see if we can find more on the way back. And 50 yards later, another one of Jacob's dogs locks up on point. We flush it. Same thing. She was tears after it, misses. And then Tyler's Vishla locks up on point on the refind and hits it again on the second reflush. And it's like, holy crap, we just we doubled again. That's doesn't happen very often with myrn's quail and falconry uh and then i was i was happy it's like well I'm, I'm good we can go home like got two <laughs> myrn's quail today uh and jacob was like really you're not going to go for a limit like, really It's like all right well, well we'll go the long route back to the truck and lo and behold another probably 100 yards or so and found another covey i don't know remember what dog locked up on point that time but flush it and yeah it's i get goosebumps just thinking about it, it i tail chase foot flush on a murn's quail with the cooper sock goshawk and exhibitor in general hits yeah and seeing it three times in a row and all the men in, in a catch that's yeah one of the highest highest of the highs i've had with falconry
2: yeah those days are what this is pretty much the reason why we continue to yeah, do it exactly
0: yeah it beats all the <laughs> the yeah. crap we deal with when it when it gets bad
2: yeah i mean it's kind of like that um I don't know that that heroin fix, I guess, so to speak. You know, always pursuing that. They're
0: chasing the dragon, man. (laughs) Yeah, for
2: sure. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, man. Like I said, it's it's great whenever it works out, and whenever it works out well, it's just amazing. There's really nothing else like it. So
0: I have tons tons of stories, but that that one right there is hard to beat. And again, not 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 even the best of flights, but just all around
2: a great day. Nice, nice. Well, you know, just in the experience that you've had. Then before we wrap up. I'm always interested to get people's opinion on, you know, or, or what, uh, they think, the best piece of advice that they've been given, or, you know, as far as what they would like to give, uh, what they've learned in their experience, you know, to either current generation of Falconers or people thinking about getting in or anything like that. And
0: I mean, it's, it's really cliche, <laughs> but I mean, you, you get in or you get out of your bird, what you put in, um, and my, our, our friends, we always talk about is just, it doesn't take much, just takes effort. That's pretty much my thing. It just, you got to know it takes work. It's not hard. It's not easy, but if you just put in the work, you'll, you'll be able to do it.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, and then that's, like I said, that's another one of those things. That I think that people can't hear enough. You know, you can't expect amazing results out of something you're putting minimal effort into. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially with these birds, you know, <laughs> you know,
0: any of these birds. Yeah. yeah. It, it takes work, but it's worth it. Like you said, those, the, those highs are hard to beat
2: for sure. Well, cool, man. I think that's a good note that we can go ahead and wrap on. It's getting late. And, um, you know, I'm, uh, I want to be ready to head to bed soon, man. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you, man. Yeah. You had a lot of driving today. Yeah. It's been a long day. And, um, like I said, I appreciate you though. And yeah, uh, thanks for having
0: know, me on. Happy, happy to be here.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, like I said, hopefully, um, you know, we'll talk more later, like I said, but if uh, if I do end up doing the uh, getting trying to get a passage Harris, I'll see. If maybe I can swing a trip out here or something. Should Tucson's
0: a uh, no, Tucson's a terrible place to get a Harris. Never mind. There's none here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The uh, no, Arizona birds are are nice.
2: Cool man. Well, like I said, thank you again, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks. Man.